Good morning, West Seattle Christian Church. Pastor Worth here. I'm glad you're with us this morning. If you're new, welcome. If you're not, welcome back. Uh, we're going to jump right in. We're in our third week of our new series called Epic Story, and uh, we are looking at what God is up to in the narrative of Scripture following our last series that took us through the passion of Christ in his last week before his crucifixion. And last week, we relished the fact that God didn't just call us good. He called us tov meod. He called us really good. And when you look at what the tale of what God is up to, he changed the trajectory. He changed the narrative of what this enslaved people were all about. They were in slavery for 400 years. All they had known were gods that were upset and frustrated and angry and who sent a very clear message. You are not enough. So we have to be appeased. That's the message they sent. You haven't produced enough. You don't major up. No matter what happens, your sacrifices will never be enough. And you're sure as heck not going to have any rest. And so they're introduced to this God who rescues them. And then they're going in Exodus. And then they get this story of who this God is. Because now they're in a relationship with, with them. And he says to them, you are tov meod. And so it might seem, if you're new to this story, that the rest of the journey that this group of people is on is just going to be smooth sailing from here on out. Question, how many of you, after me telling you last week that God said you were Tov Mayod, how many of you uh, just had a completely unfrustrating, perfectly conflict-free, nothing went wrong, easy week? Right, none of you. Like nothing bad at all happened to you, right? This week, in the epic story that's unfolding, we're going to sit still for a moment and talk about something completely different. Because um, even though God isn't angry, and even though he said, you are more than good, you are exponentially better than I could have possibly imagined, um, there is still something that happens next in all of our lives, and that is brokenness. And we need to talk about that for a little bit. If you look in the Bible, whether it's it's old school like this, or whether you're looking at it on a device like this, or jumping on your computer, it probably has a heading uh, in in the in the section that we're going to read today in Genesis chapter three that simply says the fall. And traditionally, when you come to this section in the plot, if you've been in church for <laughs> twenty minutes, you 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 come to this section and you're just told this is what happened. Instead, what I want to do today is step into the worldview and mindset of how the people who first heard this and the people who first read it would have looked at it. And the question I think they're asking is, why is there a fall? Why is there a fall? Why is this happening to us? And so we're going to jump into the key, key text uh, in just a minute. I'm going to start right before Genesis chapter 3. Turn to Genesis chapter 2 and look at the 25th verse. Now, this might seem like an odd place to start, but I want you to hang with me for a minute. Here's what it says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. The man and the woman were naked, and they felt no shame. Here's the question that comes to mind. Can you imagine what it would feel like to feel no shame? Like ever. Could you imagine what that would be like? And for a second, I want you to think of that phrase, they were naked, not as physically having no clothes, but in terms of your psyche and your brain and your mindset. Like naked means it equals not carrying any baggage 
from any of the shame that you've experienced in your life. I personally think that might be one of the most wonderful things in the world if we can live without shame. No guilt or shame from your past actions dragging along behind you. You're completely free. And God is telling this story for a reason. What He's revealing himself. Remember that in this poem, in, in what's going on in this, in this narrative. He's revealing himself to his people and trying to, to tell them a piece of who he is. It's been written down so that they can know him. And, he, and he's like, here's how much I love my children. They were naked and they were unashamed. This is totally different from their experience as people in slavery and oppression. Do you think that those first readers and hearers of this had ever felt any shame? Had they sinned before? And they're hearing this and they're like, okay, so you're saying this God isn't mad at me. And you're saying he doesn't think I'm bad. He actually thinks I'm not just good even. He thinks I'm very good. Okay, but how come I don't feel that way all the time? So if you have children, I want you to think about this for a minute. You probably know that they're going to make mistakes because you've made a few yourself. And as you think about them, would you want your children to have a way to deal with and handle those mistakes that you already know they're going to make? Yeah, why? you would, right? Why would God in heaven not feel the same way about us? So my intention here is not to give you a teaching where you feel beat up and kicked around because you already feel enough shame at times in your life, week in, week out. But I wanna, I wanna go through what's going on in this story and, and see if there's anything we can extrapolate for us. So it's starting in the next verse, chapter three, verse one, it says this. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, because God, he, he's saying God didn't prepare you and he didn't give you enough. And even though he said he created you in his image, he doesn't really want you to be like him. He's holding out on you, isn't he? And if you could only be like this, if you only knew more, if you could only perform better, you could rise to the top and you could, you could, you name it, is what he's saying. But what's going on here? Let's take a step back from this for a moment and think about it. What's really going on here is there's a voice that has been introduced into the story at this point that hasn't been part of the narrative yet. And it's seductive and it's convincing and it's pragmatic and it's coercive and it's manipulative and it's secretive and it's whispering at you. Up until this point, it's God and it's Adam and it's Eve and they're naked and they're not ashamed. And then this creeper voice sneaks into the conversation. But this is just a thing of the past, right? This is like way far removed from us. This never happens to us today. Yeah. So let's move on to verse 6. 
So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So let's think about this for a minute. They do something that's wrong and their eyes are open and all of a sudden they're aware of that. And what's the first thing they do? We have all been in sinful scenarios where you hide afterwards. You try to keep it a secret. Think about the high schooler or the 20-year-old, the high schooler who is at a, a friend's house and there's a party or whatever and they, they do something they know they shouldn't do and they think about telling but they don't. They keep it from their mom and dad. They keep it from their other friends. The 20-year-old, the college student that's off at college for the first time and they do something that they shouldn't do or that they've never done before and they keep it a secret. The 30-year-old who is married and uh, has not told their spouse certain things about their life and they keep it to themselves. And the 40-year-old and the 50-year-old, can I get a 60-year-old? Do I hear a 70-year-old? Is there an 80-year-old out there? Because, you know, the old adage, you know, it's when you're 75 that you stop sinning, right? No. <laughs> this is a common thing that we all do. What happens when shame comes into your life? What do you do with it? You hide it. Why were they hiding? Verse 9, the Lord God called to the man and said to them, where are you? Because he didn't know where they were, right? Because he's he's God. So he just, you know, where are you? <laughs> really? Has, has God ever said that to you? Maybe he has. Where are you? Where are you? Who are you? And it's it's more of a where are you? You're here but you're acting like you're not here. I know where you are. Do you know where you are? I know who you are. Do you know who you are? It's more like that, that he's saying it to them. And then verse 10 comes along and he said, I heard, Adam says, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And then God says something really cool. He says, who told you that you were naked? Translation, who have you been listening to? Because I was just with you and you were naked and unashamed. So somebody crept in and said something different to you. Go, moving on in the scripture, it says, have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman, it's her fault, <laughs> the woman you gave to be with me. She gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. In other words, you shift the blame. Your shame and your sin are somebody else's fault. When someone offered you that drink or those drugs or when they offered you their body or when you listened to their gossip or when you told that lie, it's someone else's fault, right? It's not yours. Verse 13, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. 
On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel, which is, of course is a prophecy about Jesus and Satan. What is God saying here to the serpent? Imagine God as a dad and these are his kids, which, which they are. Put yourself in that position. What is he saying? You mess with my kids. You're going to crawl on your belly and you're going to eat dirt because you messed with my kids, right? Moms and dads. The deal is that there are all these voices and temptations out there that are telling you that God is holding out on you in one way or form or of another. And you can go it your own way. And all of these voices are nipping at your heels, but God gives you a way out. And he tells us right here, he goes, I want you to crush it. Get up off the couch and name that thing that you are keeping secret, that you are ashamed of, and crush it, is what he is saying. I want you to think about this because you know what's going to happen this week. You're going to have voices that are going to try and keep your focus off of God. And you'll have to identify those false voices. And then you'll have to crush them. All right, so I know most of you are just sitting at your kitchen table or you are sitting on the couch and I want you to do something different. You know, normally if we'd be, if we were in church uh, at the, in, in the worship center, um, you know, there'd be points in the service where we have you stand up, especially when we're singing and that kind of thing. But I'm going to have you stand up right now. Nobody's going to know if you actually do it or not, but I'm trusting that you will because I want you to participate in this with me. So I want you to stand up. And I want you to take a practice stomp when I count to three. So here we go. One, two, three, crush it. All right. I'm going to give you a, a practice voice, something that, that we all struggle with or some things that maybe you struggle with and some things that you don't, but some of you are going to and some of you aren't. And what I'm going to say the thing and whatever it is, and then I'm going to say one, two, three, and then crush it. And I want you to stomp, okay? Um, because you need to have this mindset of identifying whatever it is, this voice that's speaking to you, like that serpent was. And you need to become practiced in crushing it into the ground, okay? And so this, this physical reminder, I hope, will help you, okay? So here's the thing. Let's start with this one. You're not good enough. One, two, three, crush it! All right. You're too fat. One, two, three, crush it. You're too skinny. One, two, three, crush it. You're not smart enough. One, two, three, crush it. You should try these drugs. One, two, three, crush it. You're not good looking enough. One, two, three, crush it. All right. There are a lot more, even more serious ones than those. And for some of you, those things might be very serious voices in your head right now. You, the deal is, is you know what the voices are for you. I want you to think about the biggest lie that you've ever been told about you, pertaining to you, whether it was you that told it to you, or it's from when you were really young or whatever, and it just won't let go of you. The whispering, that creeping voice that you believe. Maybe you used to believe it. Maybe you still do. But you have the power that through God's Spirit to crush it out. 
and, and, and get rid of it. And you also have the power to have other Christians come around side you and help you in that eradication of whatever it is. We're about to take communion together and we do this every week to get together. And I love that because it just brings it back to Jesus, to the he, you know, it says he in, in the text, he is going to crush the, the enemy's head. He is going to crush out those creepy whispers. And so it's good to come to this table each week. Listen, you get to choose what the voices are that you're going to listen to. You get to choose the filters. What is drawing you closer to God and what is pushing you away? What voices do you need to crush in your life? What areas of your life are you hiding in shame? Is it a light burden to bear? If you could let go of your shame, what would be different in your life? How would you walk differently? And if you've never been able to do that, Jesus is the person who can do that for you. He can take these things away and he can empower you to crush them. If you did not have this shame in your life, who could you influence? How would you be able to love differently and more abundantly? Hear me now, you don't eradicate shame one time in your life. It's not one and done. Uh, it's cyclical. It keeps coming back. And you have to remember how to crush it again. You have, you have to remember the tools that are at your disposal that have been given to you by Jesus, the people around you who care for you, who will help you eradicate these things in your life. Because shame does keep coming back. I want to end with this because I, I think this... Um, I think that this beginning text from Genesis is on Paul's mind later when he's writing to the Romans. And in Romans chapter 8, it's one of the most famous verses, sections of scripture uh, in your Bible. It says this, and, I'll, and we'll just end with this as, as a message of hope. God believes you're a tov meod. He's not angry with you. And he is mad that this has happened, that, that these things have happened and that there is shame now in our life. And he wants to help us crush these things. So take this promise as you go this week. It may be a blessing to you. He took care of everything on the cross. Here's what it says in Romans 8, 38. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height or depth nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.